I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. And so Jesus breaks on the scene. First John the Baptist preparing the way. But then Jesus breaks on the scene. And what is he called? The Word. He, it's like God saying, okay, I'm going to talk to you now. But I'm talking to you in flesh. You're going to see what I have to say. You're going to see it demonstrated. I'm coming among you to walk and talk as the living explanation of all that God is and all that God says. This is Sozo Church. Okay, you know, before I actually speak, I want to invite my wife, Peggy, to come up here. I'd like you to meet Peggy, and uh, she's got something to share with you. So can we get a microphone? All right. Cool. I don't want to take a lot of your time, but um, so I'm reading in the book of Luke right now, and on Friday, I read this, and I was just kind of pondering it, and felt like it was for you guys. Um, So it's Luke 9, and starting in um, verse 18. It says, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. So um, I know this is a powerful theolog- theological thing and, and a thing that happened in, in history. Things kind of changed from there. Um, but I just felt like the Lord is asking all of you, who do you say that I am? You know, we hear about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We, we hear there's so much said about Jesus. But who do you say that I am? Because that's really where it matters. It's a personal thing. Um, not only a personal thing, but it's needs to be a very personal thing. So I feel like the Lord just is saying that to you all. Who do you say that I am? Amen. It's good stuff, huh? You're going to see uh, how, how good here in just a minute because when I was preparing what I was going to speak to you about today, um, my text is from Matthew chapter 16. And it's the encounter that Jesus has with the disciples And he asks them the question, who do men say that I am? Isn't it interesting? And so Peggy came to me yesterday, and she said, "Um, I have something I feel to share. And and I said, well, me too. And she said, what what, what do you sense in? And I told her kind of what I was wrestling with and the text I was looking to go into. And she said, that's amazing. This is what I'm going to share with the congregation. So you ready to go? Amen? I want to talk to you about how seeing Jesus, your vision of Jesus Christ will determine your own identity. It will also lead to your sense of community and will ultimately lead to your vocation, your purpose, what you do in life, amen? 
So I've already been prayed for and we've been praying a lot, but I wanna pray one more time. Will you pray with me? Let's just pray together. Father, help me to speak your word as I ought to boldly and clearly. Help me to be accurate to the text, to, to represent you the way that you truly are. Lord, we don't want a distorted image of you. We want a clear image of you. Anoint me, be with our, our ears, be with our hearts and be with our feet. Lord, go before me now in the speaking and the preaching of the word and go before us in the hearing and the doing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Kevin DeYoung in uh, a book that he wrote called, um, actually on his blog called Who Do Men Say That, or Who Do You Say That I Am, has this to say about Jesus. He says, the greatness of God is most clearly displayed in his son, and the glory of the gospel is only made evident in his son. That is why Jesus' question to his disciples in Matthew 16 is so important. Who do you say that I am? The question is doubly crucial in all day, in our day, because no one is as popular in the U.S. as Jesus. Did you know that? But not every Jesus is the real Jesus. Think about this. Think about our society. Think about our culture. Think about the different Jesuses we have masquerading right now in our culture. There's Republican Jesus. You know him? He's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and owning firearms. That's Republican Jesus. That's a Jesus a lot of people I know really embrace. But he's not the Jesus of the Bible, let's be clear. There's Democrat Jesus. He's against Wall Street and Walmart. He's for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. And that's Jesus. The government needs to take care of everybody. Jesus said so. I'm still looking for that text, but I know it's in Second Opinions chapter four somewhere. It's in there. I know it is. Then there's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. And how many of you know that there are always elements of truth in these things, and Jesus does care about those things, but let's, let's be clear, Jesus was not a therapist. And if you're a therapist, praise God for you, we need you. But let's be clear, Jesus wasn't a therapist. There's Starbucks Jesus, he drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. Come on. And then there's open-minded Jesus. He loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. Okay. And then there's touchdown Jesus. He helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcome for Super Bowls. Yeah. That's the Jesus that all those athletes who are being interviewed talk about after the game, right? God gets all the glory. You know, he was just with us today. I'm just thinking, you know, who everybody that was praying for the Patriots and everybody that was praying for the Falcons, it's obvious the Patriots uh, prayer warriors were a little closer to God, right? And what a comeback. I mean, come on. Oh, stop it. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so that we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash also while looking very German. Uh, and then there's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. All you need is love. Okay. And then there's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to an ambiguously spiritual music. And then there's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. 
We hear a lot of that today. Just turn the TV on. Anyway, we'll move on. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's Guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. This one I love. And then there's Boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. Uh, And then there's good example, Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He's the one that we've all been waiting for, the son of David David, and Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of the new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke spoke of to the serpent. The Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood. The Christ promised to Abraham. The Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites. The Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died. The Christ promised to David when he was a king. The Christ revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant. The Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He's the Father, Son, Savior of the world and the substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. That's the Jesus that we want to know. Amen? Amen. So turn to Matthew 16, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 19, and I I want to take you down a road of seeing him for who he is, and then finding out actually who he's made you to be. So are you in Matthew 16, 13? Let's go. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and there's so much that I could share here, my goodness, where he was at and all the context of the culture around there, but I don't have time. And he asked his disciples this, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Now, you know, get get the feel in it, okay? Get the feels over this text. Jesus is absolutely thrilled with Peter's answer. He's absolutely thrilled. I'm not gonna say he's shocked, but he is experiencing joy. He's excited and he's like giving Peter a serious attaboy. And And he said, blessed are you, Simon, Bar, Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I love this text. It's one of my favorites because Peter reminds me a lot of myself. Right, He had foot and mouth disease, and he was always messing up, but he was also always doing things nobody else ever did. He was a man of risk, 
He was kind of radical. He did stupid stuff. He, Jesus called him Satan one time. Imagine that. How many of you, you think Jesus is hard on you? How'd you like to be called the devil? Get behind me, Satan. By the way, that's shortly after this revelation. So, you know, he goes to the heights, he goes to the depths, he walks on water, and yet he denies he knows Jesus. He is all over the map, and I love him. (laughs) But I want you to see the first point here is that God alone reveals to us who Jesus is. This is what theologians call the doctrine of revelation. God has self-revealed himself in creation, in our conscience, everywhere in our world, out there beyond what we can see. God has self-revealed himself. But even there, there's not enough of us, or not enough of him for us to see him clearly unless God breaks in on our world. And this is what we call the doctrine of revelation. Revelation simply means to unveil, to pull back the curtain and go, ta-da, there it is, there he is. And For us to see who Jesus really is, for us to not fall into the trap of all the different Jesuses I read about earlier, we have to trust that God will show us who he is. Amen? He breaks in on our world and shows us Jesus. He he asks him, who do men say that I am? And then I love how he personalizes it, and this is really where my wife went. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because your view of Jesus is going to really impact where you go in your life, who you are, what you become, what mission you ultimately fulfill. Your vision of Jesus Christ will determine who you are. And that's really where I want to go today. How you see him will change who you are. There's a principle in the Bible. You become like whatever you behold the most. As you're beholding, you're becoming. As you're looking, you're changing. It's a a principle in scripture. So where you fix your gaze, where you fix your heart, the one you're looking at will determine your inner character and will determine ultimately what you do and your final destiny. So the way you see Jesus is key. And, and, And I just want to point out that throughout the biblical narrative, throughout the story of scripture, every time one of these servants that God broke in on Every time they encountered the Lord, that vision of God that they saw determined even who they were. You think of Joshua at you know, Jericho, and he's going down there to check out the city walls, and, and he's a warrior, but he needs to be confident. He needs to know God is with him. And so what vision of Jesus does he encounter, the captain of the host of the Lord's armies? And as he looks at this captain, and this captain challenges him when, when he says, our Joshua says, whose side are you on? And he says, no, rather, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord's armies. Basically, I'm not taking a side, and if you want to win, you better get on my side. And because he saw this captain, because he saw this commander, something was changed in him, and he went on to become the great conqueror. We see it the same with Moses, right? I mean, Moses becomes the deliverer of Israel and the lawgiver. And when you look at the God whom was self-revealed to Moses, you see over and over again that he's the God of deliverance. He's the God of order and law and covenant and relationship. Moses knew him face to face. So he asks, uh, who do people say that I am? There's a lot of rumors going around. And 
Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know that means Messiah, that means Savior. We know that Christ was a, a term that, that meant one who would, who would come and rescue Israel from their enemies and their oppressors. Of, of course, they didn't know that the Messiah would be God in the flesh. They didn't know the Messiah would suffer. They were expecting a Messiah who would be a warrior on a white horse, delivering them from the Romans and their oppressors. Nevertheless, he is that one that they'd looked for. And if you know Israel's history, they were pining away for a revelation. In fact, let me just point something out. Jesus is called the word of God, right? The word, the spoken word, the declaration of his person, his character, his nature, the full explanation of God. But do you understand that from the time of Malachi, or as a friend of mine when I was a new Christian said, Malachi, the Italian prophet, right? <laughs> as, yeah, from the time of Malachi until Mark, the first gospel written, there's 400 years where God said, I'm not talking to you anymore. Think about that. 400 years of silence. Now, I don't necessarily mean that, that, that God wasn't speaking to people personally or there weren't a, a remnant of people, but there's no recorded scripture. There's no revelation from God to the people. For 400 years, God was silent with Israel. And that was a form of judgment. You're not listening to me anyway. I send prophet after prophet to you. I've been speaking and speaking and speaking, and you won't listen to what I have to say, so I'm just going to go silent for 400 years. And so Jesus breaks on the scene. First John, the Baptist, preparing the way. But then Jesus breaks on the scene, and what is he called? The Word. He, it's like God saying, okay, I'm going to talk to you now, but I'm talking to you in flesh. You're going to see what I have to say. You're going to see it demonstrated. I'm coming among you to walk and talk as the living explanation of all that God is and all that God says. Isn't that powerful? This is that Christ. He's the son of the living God, the offspring of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this to you. Sometimes we, we hear people say, you know, um, I, I got to know who Jesus was and I, I was born again and I, had, I got, quote unquote, I got salvation and, and now I'm moving on. And I know what you mean by that, but let me just tell you something. Jesus Christ is so multifaceted and so deep and beautiful and high and wide and so amazing and so filled with discovery and is always showing us what the Father is like. You can spend the rest of your life just looking at Jesus in the Bible. You could spend the rest of your life just reading the four Gospels. Please don't do that. But you could just read those four Gospels and look at what it was like when he walked the earth and then see him in type and shadow and symbol and see him in, in all the sacrificial system all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation and if all you did was concentrate on I'm going to look at Jesus, you'd spend the rest of your life and you'd have the deepest revelation a human being can have because the greatest revelation, the greatest unveiling any of us can have is the person of Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. He's the best. He's the highest. And then the second point, and, and I'm trying to move here, but is that seeing him clearly reveals our own identity. And I want you to notice the progression because we're looking for ourselves, right? In this culture, this society, everybody's on this quest of self-discovery. 
And we want to know who we are. We want to know what we can do. We want to know, you know, what our capabilities are and what our gifts are and what our talents are. And we want to succeed and we want to have a plan and we want to go somewhere. And that's all good. But many times we're looking in the wrong place. We want others to tell us who we are. When we're children growing up, we want our parents to tell us who we are. And they should. But really, they're doing it in the stead of God. They're doing it in the stead of Jesus, giving us our identity, right? And sometimes that identity they give us is bad. Sometimes they tell us we're bums and we're losers and we're stupid and we're idiots and we're jerks and they they wound us with words and they tear us down and so we grow up, right? And then where do we go? We look forward in relationships. We think that man, that woman, that relationship is going to give us that sense of identity and what happens? They fail us and they let us down. Then we think maybe if I go to school and I get a bunch of degrees, that'll give me an identity. Or maybe if I get a great job with a lot of money and I drive a certain car and live in a certain house and I fulfill the American dream, that will give me my identity. And what happens? All of those things fail and they leave us empty. And that's the sad thing. So many times God becomes our last resort for identity. And I've known people that are in their senior years that are elderly and they're still dealing with the wound that they had as a child from their parents. They're still dealing with an identity given to them by someone else and they've never been able to move on. And I'm telling you, your identity lies in your encounter with Jesus Christ. The only thing that's ever gonna change who you really are down in your marrow and in your bone in the depth of your being where you can walk securely in life is that encounter with knowing who he is as you see him. Him, he'll show you yourself. Does this make sense, anybody? So look at what happens in verse 17 and 18. Jesus answered him, I'm preaching myself out of breath here. Whoa. <laughs> Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Now, we look at that, we read over that text all the time, and it doesn't impact us, but think about what just happened. He saw Jesus, and he tells Jesus who he is. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus is like, that ain't nothing. You know who you are? He turns it right around. You've identified me. Now I want to identify you. I want to tell you who you are. He tells him, first of all, he identifies him by his old name in nature, which isn't a bad one. I've heard a lot of people teach on the, the name Simon and give different interpretations of it. But Simon ultimately, in its simplest um, definition, just means to hear. And Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. And it's interesting, son of Dove. And Jesus has got a, a subtle little, funny little play on words here. He says, blessed are you who hear of the Dove. Isn't that interesting? That's his name. But, but, and then he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my father. So blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't re- reveal this to you, but my father revealed this to you. It's like um, he's saying to him, look, your dad, Jonah, couldn't give you this revelation. Only my father, only your true father can open your eyes to see who I am and who you are. You're never even going to get it from earthly parents. They can be a vessel. They can be used. But the ultimate identity issue in our life has to come to us from God. God breaks in on us. God shows us who we are. Is this making sense? And he gives him a new name. He says, you're Peter. It means stone. 
Now, if you know anything about Peter, I say he wasn't a stone. If you looked at him in his past, if you looked at him in his whole journey with Jesus, he was jello. <laughs> Haven't you ever noticed that? I wouldn't call him a rock. If I was like, you know, you know pick of the 12 who I could really count on to kind of just be level and be there and be secure, Peter wouldn't be my rock. I, I don't know which one I'd go to, but it wouldn't be Peter. Right? I'd be like, P Peter? Seriously? You're calling him a rock? Jesus, can we have a talk? Have you seen this guy? Have you seen what he does? He's the one that keeps putting his foot in his mouth. He's the one that keeps doing the funny stuff. You know, think about it. I will never deny you. Uh, before that rooster crows three times, you're going to deny you even knew me. Never. I will die with you. So bold. So lost. So broken. And yet Jesus looks at him and he sees what he's going to become. He sees what he's making him. And he declares something over his life that he desperately needed. And for those of you who were here last night, you remember in my own testimony, I told you that I was so shattered and so broken in my identity. And when I came to Christ shortly after, these different prophetic ministries would come to our church and they would call me out and they would speak to me. And it was God's way of saying, I'm giving you a new identity they began to speak into me a sense of life and the Father's love and a purpose and a destiny and began to tell me things about myself I couldn't see in myself. When they would tell me, I'd often find myself going, who, who are you talking to? You talking to me? No, no, you talking to me. Yes, I'm talking to you. God's saying, you're the one. I'm putting my finger on you. I'm speaking to you. And that's what he did here. You know what's beautiful about this is this is consistent with his other encounters. One of his very first encounters, maybe his first encounter, was Simon Peter's in John chapter 1, verse 40 and 42. And right there, the first time Jesus ever meets Simon, he walks up to him. He says, so you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Right from the beginning, from the first time they ever met, Jesus is telling this man, you're a rock. You're a stone. You're going to be solid. You're going to be secure. There's something about, on, on the revelation you had of me, I'm going to lay a foundation and I'm going to call it a church, the church. I have a quote here I just wrote down. Only God can truly show you who you really are. He can use people, but your own heart must recognize that God is using them or it will fall on deaf ears. Have you ever had somebody try to speak into your life encouragement or love and it just didn't seem to go in? You ever been there? I have. You know, they come, they tell you what they see, they believe in you, they, they love you, they, they know you're going to be okay, but it just kind of goes boom, boom, just kind of bounces off of you. So even if, you know, myself or somebody here, if somebody even called you out today in this meeting and gave you a word, and it was really from God, if your heart was in a, a place of hardness or coldness or even wounding or your faith was just wounded and you were beat down, it would be hard for you to embrace that word, and that's why we so desperately need to encounter him regularly, daily. Know that we're meeting with the God who identifies who we really are. Is this making sense? You still with me? How much time? I'm not sure what time I'm supposed to stop. Do you tell me and I'll, I will, I'll stop. What, one? Was it one? No, uh, I'm not sure. Just go? Okay, because I don't want to get in trouble. I'm one of those guest speakers, I'm serious. You never want to preach too long at someone's church because you'll never come back. <laughs> and that takes me to my next point. Seeing Jesus clearly reveals our new community. 
you know, it's beautiful in this whole text. You, you see, he says, you know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, okay, you're Peter. And then he says, I'm gonna build a church, a community, ecclesia called out to assemble. And, and then I'm gonna give you keys. So what you bind and loose will be bound and loose. And that is kingdom language about getting the gospel out there and freeing people. And so his point, he takes them right through the process. It starts with your personal identity, your new community, your new vocation, your new call, and the authority that you're gonna have to get there. That's where it ultimately ends. Because God doesn't just spend our whole life telling us who we are. He gives us a work to do. Remember in the garden, before the fall, before Adam found out that his work and his toil would now have sweat and be a struggle and be dirty and the earth would fight him. Before any of that, God said, I'm gonna put you in the garden to tend it and keep it. You're gonna work. You're always gonna have a work. You're always gonna have a purpose. I made you to create because I'm creator God and I made you in my image and likeness. I want you to create. I want you to beautify. I want you to work. I want you to build, right? So that's what we see in the text. Seeing Jesus clearly reveals our new community. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. If you're from Catholic background, you know that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Peter's the rock. He was the first pope, and that's the foundation the church is built on. But that's not what Jesus is saying. The rock that Jesus is speaking of is the revelation that Peter had of who Jesus is. That rock of who I am that you saw is what I'm going to build my church on, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Let's look at this. Seeing Jesus clearly will lead to seeing ourselves, but then it will lead to seeing his church. You can't divide the two. Isn't it interesting? Our personal identity is connected to our community. Think about that. That, that, that. You can stick that in your pipe and smoke it. That one works. Your personal identity is not something that happens in this vacuum of you and Jesus. It happens with you and Jesus and a community. Right? You can't ever really be the person you were created to be going solo. Christianity, our walk with God is not a solo project. How many of you have found that out? Try doing this alone and watch yourself fall. Or be forever immature. I've known people who were a part of the body of Christ, a part of the church, and they got offended, they got hurt maybe by leaders, and a lot of times with good reason. They got offended or hurt from leaders or other church people or they, they just kind of faded away. Life happened and they kind of faded away and they get out there. And it's not that they quit necessarily loving God or following God, but what ends up happening is they become forever immature. They become like babes that never mature. Why? Because you need other people and the interaction and the offense and the struggle and the working through relationships and the taking these things that we say we believe and actually working them out with other people who are different from us, who don't act, talk, walk, think, smell like us. When you get in with other people, when you get in with that community and you have to forgive and be forgiven over and over and over again and you actually work out 70 times seven and you learn what it means to be a Christian in community, guess what happens? You gotta grow up. You gotta grow up because if you don't get over that stuff, you won't grow up. If you get offended, you'll isolate, you'll separate, you'll get out there on your own, and as soon as you begin to isolate and separate, you can count on the fact that you're gonna remain a forever baby. It doesn't matter how much head knowledge you get. It doesn't matter if you're a Bible scholar and you can quote scripture, none of that matters. If you can't work it out with people, you're not working it out inwardly. You're not growing up. And that's why we so desperately need this new community that he gave us. 
So we come to Christ and we see him and he shows us ourselves, and then he gives us our community, our tribe, our clan, our family, our people. And he builds on the rock of himself, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, a people, a community, a church. And I love this because he says, I will build my church. He's very personal about it. And no matter how hurt or disappointed you might be in the church, you can never disconnect it from Jesus. Jesus personally identifies with the church. I, I had somebody tell me not long ago, I was meeting, talking out on the street with somebody, asking them about their experience in life. And they said, you know, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, um, but I, I, don't, I don't go to church. And, and to church is a man-made institution. And I let that person finish their sentence. And then I, I just brought them actually to this text. I said, you know, you know Actually, that's not true. The church is not a man-made institution. The church is a Jesus-built institution. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I know the way we do it may be different from the way they did it and the way different cultures and times have done it have always been different. And there is a lot of institutionalization that can take place. And there is a structure that can come that can kill the church. We know those things are all true. They're all risks. Nevertheless, any place where people are gathered like this, in this setting to worship Jesus Christ and to be instructed by those whom God has graced to be fivefold equippers, and we gather and each of us finds our place in the body and loves one another and builds one another up, that is his church that he's building. And I just want to encourage you today as a church, God's building your church. Jesus is building your church. Amen? Come on, somebody, give me an amen there. That can help me out there. You'll, you'll help me preach better if you give me an amen every once in a while. I, I get better I, the more amens I get. Just kidding. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then the last thing, and I, am I doing okay on time? Seeing Jesus clearly reveals our new purpose. And the first purpose, he says, is, he reveals our true spiritual battle. And this is a revelation, right? I keep using that term. This is something we really need to get a hold of. How many of you really know and believe that we're in a battle, right? Now look, I, I wanna say something. I've been a part of the charismatic movement for a long time, charismatic type churches. I know it can get weird. I know when we start talking about the devil and demons and spiritual darkness and, and spiritual warfare, there's some people out there that just get, I almost said something I can't say. Bat poop crazy. We'll just put it that way. Okay, there's people that get out there, right? And before you know it, there's a demon behind every doorknob and the devil's doing everything. And, you know, if you, if you got a, a problem with something in your life, it's a spirit of this and a spirit of that. And I'm not for that expression at all. At all. In fact, I look in the scripture and I see a lot more identification of the works of the flesh than I do demonic things. But the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We, we have a battle. Now, I love that gates are, are stationary, aren't they? And, uh, you know, I've, I've never seen a, a battle where um, the army on the opposite side of the field all lines up with a bunch of gates. And then on three, ah! they come running at the other, you know, the other guys on the other side with their spears and swords and, you know, bow and arrows and, you know, rocket launchers and, and, you know, you know what I'm saying. So gates are obviously trying to protect something. Darkness is protecting something. It's trying to hold people 
resources, God's world. Amen? And our job is to break through those things. The gates of hell won't prevail. But then I like what Jesus says. But look, you know, you can try to bash in the, the gates, but I'm gonna give you some keys. And those keys are gonna unlock my kingdom on the earth. Those keys are gonna make a way. They're gonna open. What are keys? Keys are, are, are things that open and unlock with authority and power places that have been bound and closed. So he gives us keys. And I want you all to know that he gives us keys for every part of our life. He gives us keys in our family. He gives us keys with our children. If you're raising your children, Jesus has keys to give you for the kingdom of God to invade your children's lives. Start to ask him, Lord, what are the keys to my kids' hearts so I can unlock them? And maybe he's given you, he wants to give you keys for the kingdom of God to invade your workplace. He wants to give you keys for the kingdom of God to invade your marriage. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, our marriage is right on the edge of failing. We're about to go over the edge. We're about to run off the cliff. It's it's almost over. I want to tell you something. It's never too late. Jesus has keys for you. Sometimes those keys lie in someone else who knows something about marriage, mentors or counselors, people who've been there and done that and have suffered like you've suffered and struggled like you've struggled. But don't give up. Start looking for the keys. Start knocking on some doors. Start asking some questions and get the help that you need. He has keys for you in every part of your life because his desire is that his rule and his reign in a very practical way would invade every area of our lives and he has keys for you amen why ultimately binding and loosing we get into that it just means to forbid or to permit and Jesus is saying I'm going to give you keys that will either forbid certain things evil darkness what's wrong or permit certain things my righteousness my love my goodness my grace my life my presence to flood it I'm going to give you that kind of authority And I'm going to put those things in your hand. And those keys are going to unlock your life for you. Now, listen, I'm not trying to preach some kind of pie in the sky. You can be successful, seven steps to a successful life. But I want you to know something. God has keys for every person in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus, there are keys for your life. He has a new identity. He has a new community. He has a new vocation. And he gives you authority to fulfill it. Amen? This isn't just for Jesus. This is for all of us. This isn't pie in the sky. I'm not trying to just be hyper, you know, spiritual or theological. I want you to know God has great stuff for you. Amen? But seeing Jesus clearly is a work that only God can do. And a key, the key to everything else in our life, we have to look upon him. Let me go back to him, him. He is the author and the finisher. You said that in the beginning of the service. Our own identity, our new community, and our purpose all revolve around us seeing him more clearly. Only that revelation will lead us to self-discovery. Only God can show you who you are. So I want to encourage you to come even today and look at Jesus. Only he can show you yourself, your people, and